yeah, so I thought I'd make friends with him, you know, thinking, um, I remember the first time we uh, interacted, uh, it was day one, you know, I finally got a break and I was uh, just down in the div, like leaning up against the up against the wall and having a durry. <laughs> holding, <laughs> holding the building up? Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. Oh, yeah, that yeah. That's right. like, get, get off that fucking wall. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The ex, the ex sergeant and me just came yeah, out. I'm like, yeah. what are you leaning on that yeah. wall for, champion? Yeah. Instantly. And I was like, well, so all right, I guess we're not building the pool then. We're all mates. <laughs> Can I say that's the image that I have in, in my head of Maz going back to Adford was, you know, that cool guy from Sydney leaning against the wall, just sucking dabs nonstop. That's, wouldn't go as far as saying cool, but, um, <laughs> but certainly uh, that, that, uh, uh, I was that guy. Um, yeah. what, what Axons Unleashed. Let's do it. G'day, ladies and gents. Robbie Turner's my name. Welcome to another episode of Axons Unleashed. I'll tell you what, Luke, we've had some bloody great guests on here. I feel like I say this all the time, but we're just getting better and better and better. This is one of your really good mates. I know you're really looking forward to speaking to the great man himself, Maz. Full disclosure, ladies and gents, this is one of my best mates, and he is uh, probably the most... Uh, dist- Don't hold that against me, people. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, we haven't finished introducing you. <laughs> He's probably one of the most distinguished friends that I have. He's got a, an amazing story that's been an inspiration to me through my whole life. So I just, I cannot wait to share this with you. Now, full up front, you've got your own podcast, you've got your own story, and like, uh, as I was li- literally just saying off air, I love doing these podcasts whereby... If you're comfortable sharing things about you that other people don't know during your normal medium, so yep. yeah, Maz, welcome to welcome to Axons Unleashed, buddy. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for thanks for hosting me. Hey, good to see you, mate. Good Hello. man. Good man. Hey, tell me. Um, and another interesting fact as well. Fact, ladies and gents, is that you're still a current serving military officer. First Indeed. one we have. Well, first one we had on the on the podcast. The first, we'll be gentle, mate. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and interestingly, just to sort of um, you know uh, wet the whistle there, ladies and gents, Maz has got out and got back in, and now still doing something amazing. And you know, obviously, you know, you've got the whole future coming your way. So yeah, there's lots and lots of layers to this story. Some of which I have a a small part to play because yeah, we, we met many many <laughs> yeah, years ago yeah, back yeah. in the day so we'll talk about that soon but yeah i know you're going to get a lot out of this ladies and gents and certainly you know when we get to that point you'll have an opportunity to, to click on maz's podcast as well to listen to a whole bunch of stories that i haven't got to the stage of my life of telling you yet so yeah good on you mate let's <laughs> bloody get into well. it well thanks for having me gents yeah um as always mate we we'll just go back to the start where were you born all that sort of stuff and uh, just t- tell us the journey about you can, ladies and gents you can probably hear maz's accent already um, so, you know, when did you come to Australia and like eventually how did you, you know, get to joining the army and all that sort of stuff? Mm, Go mm. for it. No, absolutely. Hey, thanks. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me. Uh, I love it. I love what you guys do and uh, I love the podcast. Uh, I've, I've had a look, uh, obviously, in preparation for here. Uh, where was I born? Geez, that's a, uh, as you know, Luke, that's a uh, very good opening question for me. <laughs> so, born and raised in, uh, in Bosnia, Sarajevo. So, I often say I'm a child of the Bosnian War um, and I say that half tongue in cheek. Uh, but uh, at the age of 10, I think, uh, the world that I knew as a child, which was a very happy world, you know, I, I we lived well in Sarajevo in an Olympic city. Um, you know, my parents were both highly educated and we enjoyed a, a kind of middle class uh, lifestyle going mm. to the coast uh, in, the Cro- in Croatia uh, in summer to the Bosnian mountains, Olympic mountains, skiing in winter. Uh, but all of that, uh, I guess, fell apart uh, in spring 92 when the grenades started falling. So within a few months of that, uh, my mum, brother and I found ourselves uh, escaping Sarajevo uh, on the second last UN convoy to ever leave the city. Wow. Uh, and I say that, uh, you know, not to kind of glorify the story in any way, but I, I say it because that set the 
course of my life from there on. Mm. Quick question. Hopefully yeah. it wasn't like the, um, the escape from Afghanistan where people are falling off planes and shit. Or did it, it probably felt like that, <laughs> did it? I mean, look, I, I'm not, you know, it obviously wasn't that hectic or that yeah. intense, but it was uh, probably um, as, as unorganised or as maybe risky, probably not as uh, sitting on, uh, on, on wheel arches of planes. Mm. Uh, but, you know, the reason my dad couldn't leave, and this, this will give you the, the, you know, the idea of what it was like, he was a fighting age male with yeah. an undesirable surname, Right, and this is the idea of identity in Bosnia. Right, the, that war is all about ethnicity, is all about identity. Uh, by my surname Maslik, uh, I was cla- or cast into a particular ethnic group, even though I have zero to do with that ethnic group. So wow. I was because my surname is Muslim background, even though my family for generations hasn't practiced any religion at all. Uh, my father, because of that surname, most likely would have been killed at the first checkpoint leaving the city, yeah. wow. uh, because we had to cross into so so a trip that normally takes. Uh, about four or five hours to drive out into Croatia. It took us, you know, better, better part of a day uh, because of all the various checkpoints that you have to go through, all the different militias, armies, uh, paramilitaries, they all want to, um, you know, get their piece of you as you're going through. Uh, and, of course, um, under those circumstances, despite the fact that this was a UN convoy, we were shot at. Uh, the, UN, the UN convoy was shot at. Yep. Um, and the fact that you were the UN certainly <laughs> wasn't any security, uh, which is the reason why... Uh, colloquially in Bosnia, the UN is known as the Smurfs, uh, right? Yeah. Because the, the, the <laughs> blue, know. blue and white toys. Yeah, that's right. It's literally, <laughs> and, and and I, you know, it, literally, that's uh, that's that's what it was like. Um, so now, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get bogged down on that. But um, yeah, from there, I was I spent three and a half years uh, as a refugee in Germany, which again was an entire. So now you're like 13 years old. This is like stuff you can vividly remember. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I was 10 when I left, and I, when I, as I came to Australia, I was about to turn 14. So right. so between 10 to kind of you know 13 and a half, just shy of 14, I was in Germany. Uh, which was an entire different, you know, I often refer to it as a different life uh, because it was, you know, you're just thrown in. Uh, and some of those experiences, I mean, vividly alive with me today, uh, you know, you get thrown in as refos, you know, we didn't really have, Germany did, you know, and, and, and I, I love that country, I love the people, I love, I love that language. Uh, but they did as best that they could when 100,000 Bosnians rock up at your yep. doorstep. Um, you know, Far out, it's not like... A few boats that arrive up yeah. and up near Broome. This is a hundred thousand people. It's not Steve and Phil rocking up on a little boat, mate. There's a yeah. hundred hundred thousand well, people. And this is just in the first, you know, first kind of intake, right? That that increased over time, and not just in Germany, but particularly Germany and Sweden, uh, who really opened the doors. And that's uh, you know, for most of you, you probably know anyway. That's remained uh, part and parcel of the German slash Swedish identity anyway. Yeah. To really really have their doors open uh, to foreigners. Uh, but yeah, so that was a, that was an interesting period because it was just mum, brother, and I. Dad was on the front lines in Bosnia for three and a half years. Um, Any comms with him? So this is yeah. I was just mm, about to say that for the first year. No, no, absolutely. First year, none, none whatsoever. How was that? Um, I, I actually don't remember it as being difficult or hard, although I know it was. But just because we were also in survival mode, you yeah. know, we didn't speak a word of German, uh, and I got thrown into a German school basically day four. Uh, you know, go figure it out. Uh, and I was only lucky that there were other Bosnians there as well that we could kind of form our little own little gang. clique, yeah, gang and try and Did you speak English? No. Because I know that English is no, no. a second language of Germany. Uh, well, certainly are very highly... De- de- definitely, definitely speak it highly. A, yeah, lot, so, a lot of it. Yeah, so I got exposed to English in high school in Germany right. uh, as I was learning German of course. Uh, as well. <laughs> Jesus. I'm loving this already. <laughs> so it was rapid fire uh, adjustment. Uh, but the comps with dad, uh, it was really funny the way it happened. We often talk about this story. Um, we hadn't heard literally nothing uh, for a year. Uh, and one night I just 
spoke to my mum and said, Mum, I've really got a bad feeling about something's happened to Dad. It's like, oh, shut up, just go to sleep, whatever. And I really couldn't sleep. And the next day, the phone rings, as in the landline phone rings, and it's Dad. But we, but it's Dad through what they what we call radio amateurs, right? So it was a bunch of awesome humans in Germany, Austria, Croatia, Bosnia on the front, basically in the heart of Sarajevo with VHF radios and just holding the pretzel switch and you just hear the echo, dad, 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 dad. Wow. And the son, son, son. Like it's been passed on through four sets of headsets and that's how we talked to him the first time, uh, which I distinctly remember has been so overwhelming, like an overwhelming sensation of holy shit, he's alive, A. Of course. Uh, and B, yeah, wow. that is my dad, right? It's uh, and And... Like I wanted to know what he had experienced, what was he going through, because you know for that for him that year was highly intense, and he was on literally on the front lines. And when I say front lines, perhaps to make it crystal clear to people what I mean by that is, if you turn the telly on now and look at what's happening in Ukraine, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Right? Like people were defending the the, the biggest weapon Sarajevo had had to defend against the fifth mightiest military in the world at the time uh, was a police shotgun. Uh, so it was initially slaughter uh, and defense. By your bodies, literally, until they could get some weapons, smuggle weapons in, and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, uh, I'm conscious that I'm giving you a very, very long-winded uh, answer. No, mate, there's no, there's no program to this. But, but my name is. Uh, so from there, um, you know, fast forward two and a half years later, uh, Dad joins us as the war is is I guess nearing an end. He got a, a approval basically to leave from the army and to uh, sneak out of the tunnel. Uh, and for those who are not aware what I mean by the tunnel, the tunnel under Sarajevo, which is which is another piece of unique Bosnian Sarajevo history, but also perhaps world history in time, that the city was kept alive uh, via an 800-metre tunnel that was dug underneath the runway, um, which was the only way things were coming in and out because Sarajevo is a valley with 2,500-metre mm. Olympic mountains all around it. Uh, so if you imagine, um, you know, you are literally in the palm of the hand or the city was in the palm of the hand with all these mountains, uh, with artillery pieces, thousands of them surrounded. Sarajevo, unfortunately, holds a number of records, one of which is still, till this day, uh, the most shelling per day of any uh, uh, modern uh, battlefield or siege, um, which is, you know... And, of course, it holds the longest siege in modern history as well, um, you know, just shy of, uh, I think, three, eight months, something like that. Um, so, yeah, so that's uh, that, that was our kind of uh, Germany part. Dad joined us, uh, and my mum had the, the smarts to think what's next because going back to Bosnia for us was never going to really be possible. Um, our house was taken over by the invading forces. Our stuff was burned, etc. Um, so there was really no way, nowhere to go. Uh, one of our houses, we had a holiday house or, or, a, or, a, or a weekend house, as we used to call it. Um, we saw pictures of it uh, in Germany as there were, uh, uh, the reporters were filming battlefields. Uh, our house had only one wall standing. There was a tank parked inside where the rest of the house is, and the barrel was uh, through the window of that one wall standing. Uh, they were using that as a bit of camouflage. Absolutely. <laughs> as a <laughs> defensive yeah, position. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Defensive position, literally. Oh, that's my fucking desk. <laughs> Get <laughs> off it. Yeah, exactly. That's literally what it felt like. Um, uh, so that was another interesting little uh, uh, video we saw while in Germany. Uh, another freaky moment we had was uh, my dad's name had popped up in the list of dead every day. We were watching the list of dead. His name had popped up. Um, and, yeah, that was obviously a scary moment. But uh, fortunately for us, it wasn't him. It was, uh, unfortunately, uh, I believe, a child by that name, which, uh, of course, is very, very sad and tragic. Uh, but, yeah, dad joined us, uh, and then we migrated to Australia. Uh, and Mate, yeah. if, I, if I may jump in there. Yeah, please what, do. What was... 
what were your parents? So what were their focus when when they when they chose Australia? Like obviously you got an entire globe to choose from. Did, did they just you know throw a dart at the, at the globe, or was it a, a much more of a deliberate approach that that your parents took? Well, you can't actually throw a dart. That's the uh, funny thing, right? Because the passport you hold dictates yeah, your right. liberties in this world of ours. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're lucky with the Australian passport. Probably not as lucky as Germans or South yeah. Koreans who are the two most valuable passports in the world. At the time, we entered Germany illegally, right? So we got, you know, and I I know what I'm saying publicly, but we did. Um, My mum's uncle smuggled us in in a bus and paid off the border guards. Hilarious. Um, (laughs) That it is. It's like a foreign world. This is like a... It is, absolutely. The Wild West. Absolutely. The Wild West. And this is how it... This is what happens. This is how it was. There's no morality and ethics. Sorry, what? (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It just doesn't come even into play. Um, but yeah, so there were only really three options. There were only three countries that were the point at that point in time uh, taking Bosnian refugees, and that was Australia, Canada, and the US. Yep. Uh, we opted for Australia and the US uh, uh, because we had the opt- some family links or, or friendship networks that we could, because people had to sponsor you, which is the other part part, right? They had to guarantee that they will, you know, Feed yeah, you, of course. clothe you, of course. Uh, you know, until you land on your feet. Despite the fact that you'll get, you know, some social security, etc. Uh, and we were lucky that it, the process took two and a half years to actually get accepted, yep. uh, and we got accepted on skilled migrant scheme. Uh, so my mum's a uh, physics professor, and my dad's a uh, 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 high-level um, engineer. engineer. Yep. Um, so they were both highly skilled migrants that, of course, Australia and the US recognised and wanted. Uh, so therefore, we got the option of both. And the reason we chose Australia, thankfully, was it had, at that point in time, marginally better social security and also allowed uh, the migrants coming in uh, longer paid study to learn the language. Um, yeah, right. That's what, that was, that's, that's what it landed on. Yeah, wow. Um, and yeah, that's why we ended up in Australia. Because everything what changed. year are we talking now, just to uh, situate? October 95 is when we migrated to Australia. Right. And that's how we ended up with Maz. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, mate, I'm bloody thankful that Australia, you guys chose Australia and you guys were able to be here. So yeah, oh, fucking hell. A little bit of a different. That is the here. longest story I've heard about <laughs> where'd you grow up. Not poor but it was mate. The bloody the best one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm sorry. The, yeah. it, is a, it is a wind, long wind. No, 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 no. I, 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 I say that. I say that in awe, not mm-hmm. uh, not not a complaint. Far from it. I think it's super important for you know for for our listeners to to sort of hear that where your foundations came from, mate. Because it's it's you know it's it makes up who you are mm. and the core of, of the morals that you mm. have, you mm. know, mm. as an adult. Um, so I think it's important that we gave it the time that it deserved. Mate. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So what do you, how, you're like 15, 16 now? Yeah, so 14 when I came to Australia. 14, yeah. Um, and, you know, then I did the usual. Do you remember uh, your first, where did you land in, where did you Sydney. live? Sydney. Sydney, yeah, Sydney. what a great place. <laughs> so what are we talking now, 97, 98? So, no, so 95, October 95, 95 is when yeah. I landed in, uh, so 25th of October 1995, we landed in Australia and, yeah. uh, you know, that was home. Yeah, uh, we stayed with those friends uh, for the first week or so. That are, where you know, in Sydney? Uh, 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 we were first in Carlton, but you know, Hurstville area. So yeah. s- s- kind of, I guess, southern, south, yep, south, south, south west. Yep. And I ended up going to school in the Shire. Oh, uh, which, uh, you would have loved that, mate. M- was amazing. Would have long way from <laughs> long <laughs> from way from Sarajevo. Sarajevo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I loved it. Loved it because uh, it was me and one other guy that were the only uh, uh, kind of ethnic Bosnians in my grade. Uh, or I think even born out, uh, outside Australia, uh, which was a, a 
a unique insight into very rapid insight into Australia, and also helped me acclimatize very quickly. You know, helped me get the language because I know a lot of uh, a lot of certainly migrants from the Balkans went Liverpool way, where you didn't really need. That's English. what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, which yep. is where my parents and with us uh, decided, as in my brother, my older brother, uh, we decided that no, no, that's not that's not for us. We want to acclimatize as quickly as possible, get to learn the language, you know, get to understand where we are, who we are, and start living a life. So at, at this point, mate, like other than collecting languages, did you have a like a goal in life? You know, did you have any aspirations? You know, we know where this this story is going. Mm, obviously, mm, spoiler mm. alert: Maz joined the military. Mm, mm. But did you have any other aspirations aspirations outside of that, mate? I, it's a really interesting one, and you know all this, obviously. I but, do. Um, but I, you know, I I was veteran Maslik soldier from the age of three. Yeah. Right. I used to walk around Tito. Tito that's right. You know, I was, I was, uh, and Tito, for those who are not familiar, is not a dictator. I wasn't a dictator. <laughs> all right. So despite what the textbooks tell you. Such a dictator. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I always loved the uniform. I always had a great affinity for it. Um, you know, and, and so I always wanted to go to the army in some shape or form. Uh, but because of our experiences, you know, understandably, my parents didn't really support that idea at all, especially I, my dad, who, had, you know, who had been wounded, who had lost his best mates, etc., on in proper trench warfare. Um, so, you know, I, I finished my high school and I got good enough grades to do, you know, a whole bunch of different things uh, because my dad was in the kind of engineering space uh, and he had worked for aerospace engineering in Australia. I thought, oh yeah, that could be all right. So I started doing aeronautical space engineering. <laughs> Like go, As you do in your spare go, time, go figure. RT. Absolutely <laughs> not what I was uh, designed for or meant for, uh, despite the fact that I got in. But um, yeah, that lasted. Uh, that was an experiment that lasted. Well, fuck, it really lasted two months <laughs> in my head. But on paper, it was a year. Um, you know, after that, I did a bunch of other different things, different uni degrees or whatever that I tried to dabble in, and then ultimately, I said, Nah, look, I want to go. I want to go to the army. I was going to say because we ran into each other at Duntrue, and that was like 2006, 2007. That's right. Yep. 2007. So we're like 10, 10 years later. So That's you would have right. been. So mid, I was mid twenties, but yeah. Then. So I was uh, I was twenty two, I think, when I, when I went to Atfa. So I was one of the kind of uh, the old guy. The old, yeah. I was the old guy. Uh, you know, the chain and smoking. Twenty five by the time you got across to Duntroon. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would have been. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Did, was it Adfa that you guys met? Yeah, day yeah, one, yeah. Day, day one, one Adfa. Yeah, yeah day, day one, one Adfa, mate. Yeah. Was yeah. He, have you listened to his yeah, podcast? Yeah, I did, but he, especially when he talks about Glenn Armstrong. Yeah, like that's Glenn. <laughs> weapon. So now. I thought all that was bullshit, ladies and gents, by the way, but now you're getting verified by <laughs> no, someone no, else that no, was no, there, no, which no, is pretty no. cool. Sergeant Armstrong, you don't forget that, man. I'll tell you that much, especially when you first walk in. And I thought I was cocky and confident. You know, I was, I was you know, I'd, I'd lived a bit, I thought. Uh, I was 22 and, you know, there's all these kids, 17, 18. I was like, fuck, all right, here we go. Uh, but no, 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 no. When you saw uh, Glenn uh, tattooed uh, in his pollies, what is six, three, four, something yeah, like that? He's a big boy. He's a yeah. big man, uh, chewing durries. Yeah. Uh, oh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought I'd make friends with him, you know, thinking, um, I remember the first time we uh, interacted, uh, it was day one, you know, I finally got a break and I was uh, just down in the div, like leaning up against the. Up against the wall and have a durry <laughs> holding <laughs> holding the building up. Yeah, exactly. That, exactly. Oh, yeah, that yeah. That's right. like, get, get off that fucking wall. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The ex the ex sergeant <laughs> of me just came yeah, out. I'm like, yeah. what are you leaning on that yeah. wall for, champion? Yeah. Instantly, and I was like, well, so all right, I guess we're not building the pool then. <laughs> we're not mates. <laughs> Can I say that's the image that I have in in my head of Maz going back to Adfa was you know that cool guy from Sydney leaning against the wall just sucking dabs nonstop. <laughs> wouldn't go as far as saying cool, but um, but certainly uh, that, that, uh, uh, I was that guy um, yeah. one, one of the things I found interesting Luke that you were saying was the pulling between pillar and post between playing military and doing the the, mili the studies part of it mm. tell me about your experience with that 
I mean, look, I loved ADFA, right? I had a great time at ADFA, perhaps because I had already dabbled in other uni degrees. So that wasn't a threat to me. The uni piece was like, whatever, like this is, this is I'm playing here. I love it. I'm enjoying it. Um, and also because I had some extra credits that I carried across. Great. Uh, and being a being a wog, right? You, you try and scam whatever you can. So, <laughs> obvious. And I your say, words, not I mine. Say, I, I was just going to say that. You know, I'm probably uh, it's okay for me to say that. Um, <laughs> but but what I did is obviously I then um, applied to get those credits uh, recognised. So therefore, not only was I at at for arts student. I was an at for art student with credits, right? So I was doing, I don't know, I, there was one semester, I, was, I think I did one subject, um, you know. So I was doing a whole bunch of other, I, I, was, I was studying German for fun at ANU because there were civvies uh, and there Pre- were- Precision bit, drill team. Precision drill team, which I loved. I loved precision <laughs> drill. That was a phenomenal. I did, you know, military self-defense from kind of word dot. So I did all these extra kind of curricular activities. So for me, at for was just a, like, it was a walk in the park. It was fun. Had you been to Canberra before that? Uh, yeah, yeah, just to to, uh, <laughs> to to get my Bosnian passport renewed. <laughs> that's all. That's all. Uh, but no, so not, not never spent any time in Canberra proper until uh, uh, until that uh, until coming to Adfa. And what about you? We spoke about the whole um, going over the hill. To the, the the M in RMC is the military bit. You're not at yeah. fucking university anymore. Yeah. I mean, it was legit, right? I mean, it was legit, right? I yeah. mean, for that, at that point in time, that's the highlight of your life, I guess. That's all that matters at that point in time. Mm. Um, and the pressure is amped up so hard, especially when you got somebody like uh, Dan Fortune coming in and briefing <laughs> you at Atfa still about what it's what's going to happen in his clackers. Where in the, I remember it's pretty that intimidating, yeah, pretty intimidating. And he's and he's half broken back walk, you know, like that kind of rough, tough, hardened man kind of uh, look. Um, you know that 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 leaves an impression and that sets, I guess, the scene. And I think that did really set the scene for us at RMC. I mean, I, you know, as much as you know, everybody thinks theirs time at RMC was the hardest. Um, you know, ours was actually like a really challenging year that I. Well, You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, no, that's what that's when you when you were first opening up. I was like, oh my god, I'm starting Twitch. You know, so Guns and Buns Turner's back. <laughs> right, Mate, but, there's one more thing I want to verify mm. in front of a live audience. 2004, our first year at Adfa, mm. it was the coldest fucking winter on record, wasn't it? Record. On record. <laughs> on record. Well, was that first year or second year? Minus 13? First year, First mate, year, yeah. was it? I do, remember, I do distinctly remember having to shave in that. Because, <laughs> of course, you know, because, of course, uh, you know, you'll lose the war if you don't shave. Exactly. Minus 14, 13 degrees in fucking the Jura. Uh, and, you know, hey, again, this is not a problem a lot of the 17 and 18-year-olds had. I was 22. Oh. Yeah, and Maz was shaving twice a day out. I got in trouble amazing. for the nine o'clock shadow, <laughs> the nine a.m. shadow. I did, yeah. right? By Birchie, uh, he who forced me to shave, you know, uh, twice a couple of times. Uh, so you know, these uh, these youngins uh, didn't really uh, didn't really understand the issue with that. Yeah, Mate, and when so when you went over to to Duntrue and you know, I recollect that you did quite well. What was your position in the in the core and, and that sort of stuff? Uh, as in across when we as in oh mate I don't know what so when sex, you're doing shit for real yeah so second class I was uh, I, uh, mate I don't I don't remember what the whatever is ANCO or whatever yep. the, I can't remember what it was but I was kind of I don't know I a big mean, deal it didn't mean shit right <laughs> in, in the grand scheme of things uh, but apparently I was meant to do stuff to look after the you know kind of core staff cadets uh, but because you're second class none of that really yep. mattered yeah um, so it was just a prestigious position because of my I guess at for uh, academic performance yeah. didn't really reflect anything on you know my actual uh, future in the army or anything like that. Yeah, so, of so, but it was a, it was, it was a, yeah. It just meant that you know 
we didn't have room inspections, which was pretty cool. Uh, you know, I could sleep in and, uh, you know, miss a bunch of parades that others couldn't. That's about it, yeah. really. <laughs> so for those those that are listening out there, ladies and gents, inside of the Royal Military College, there's a there's a rank structure, an NCO, non-commissioned officer rank structure that's applied to the Corps of Staff Cadets. And so it's, it's kind of like an internal uh, moderation or mediation of your own, you know, your own performance, your own behaviour, and stuff like that. That's close, obviously, closely monitored by the staff as mm, well. They, mm, you know, mm. keep an eye on it, so it's not Lord of the Flies. Yeah, uh, not totally Lord of the Flies, anyway. Not totally, yeah. Because uh, obviously, no. the real military doesn't just have off the officer corps. Of the, off, the real military's got the the OR corps that you guys need to have a bit of a bit of a exposure to. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned Dan Fortune because he's the one that pulled me aside. He goes, "Right, <laughs> you're now running the leadership training." You're if you're a commando officer, let's create a shaggy ridge that's just going to put these little. So he said something like, "Let's put these little pricks through the fucking worst time of their life." And he fucking did. He, he might did. not have said that exactly, he but did. that's what I got from it anyway. I was like, "Challenge accepted, boss. Let's yeah. fucking do it." Yeah, yeah. I mean, look. I mean, shaggy. I mean, what, what in our shaggy ridge? So we had fifty percent of the class uh, uh, miss at least one day uh, at the RP because they were getting bad because they were IV'd. We had. Four shoulder dislocations, a bunch of knee yeah. dislocations. One guy went blind. Another guy had flown out because of his kidneys stopped working. Um, it was hard. Like, it was hard. It was fucking like, and, hard. And I do remember Dan Fortune even briefing us uh, beforehand. Uh, you know, if you think you've got an injury, what I consider an injury is a bone protruding yeah. uh, and blood spurting out. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Right. And that, that's kind of the image. I was like, okay. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, mate. This is <laughs> he told me to cook that barbecue. Yeah. And he <laughs> told me to turn those that sausages. That was you. That was you. <laughs> I made up the uh, bit about walking around asking what sauce you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, did you – I've got a question for you, RT. Did, did Dan Fortune drink a lot of coffee? I can't remember. Okay, the reason I ask is, as the core of staff cadets, we we thought that he just ran on caffeine and hate. Mm, That's mm. what that body was functioning on, <laughs> and on psyops, psychological <laughs> operations. I don't know yeah. if you, like, you obviously know this yourself, I mean, and I, and I look, I, I respect Dan a lot, and we've been of in touch course. recently. Uh, uh, he's, he's he's been supporting my podcast. He's, he's great, uh, but I remember going in for a. What I was told by the adjuncts, is, mate, you're going in for a positive tea and coffee or whatever, yep. positive talk. <laughs> yep. I was like, fuck, what did I have done? I, I didn't do anything positive. Like, what? what I don't want to go. I don't want to go. He's like, no, mate, you're going in. It's like, fuck, I got marched in. Uh, and the adjunct goes, mate, don't look at him. I'm like, what? Don't look at him. Look at the portrait above his head. Like, Fucking what? <laughs> of course, you do that. And I walked in, and I'm obviously shitting myself because there's Dan Fortune sitting at a big desk, and there's a portrait of him above him, and you've got to stare at the portrait <laughs> while he's addressing you. And this was apparently a positive talk, um, which very rapidly turned because of my answers were shit and I didn't know what I was <laughs> like, I was baffled. Uh, it very rapidly turned into a negative talk, <laughs> right? And there's a very fine line between those between uh, with him, as you probably know uh, fully well. But at some point, he then ended up uh, inviting me to look at him, uh, which I was told later is the kind of uh, okay. This is the this is where the negative turns into the positive apparently, and that's the only <laughs> distinguishing feature. That it, you know that you're now looking at him in his eyes as opposed to his portrait. Uh, but everything else is the same. <laughs> but here's the thing: like you know, he he was genuinely a fucking hard leader, like yeah, a yeah, tough leader yeah. that yeah. that that got the best out of us in the environment that yeah. we were. You know, 100%. the focused outcomes 100%. for the environment. 100%. There's a, there's a lesson in that that you don't necessarily have to be everybody's friend all of the no, time. 100%. Like we both, we all of us sit here with endearing words for for a guy of that that stature yeah, and exactly, that performance exactly, and stuff like exactly. that. I assure you, none of the instructors pulled the piss out of him or yeah. fucking like yeah. if what he said to the letter happened yeah. without no fucking doubt. question. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Even yeah. though the, you know there was some ro robust discussion sometimes, and mm. certainly when we we're creating that activity, I'm like, look, what about this? He goes, oh, might not work here, might not work there. I'm like, well, what do we do this? So he was very collaborative yeah. behind closed doors, but when it was game face on. It was on 
on. It was fucking on. Yeah, for and sure. it was a game face. I mean, it's so interesting. Like me yeah. sitting here listening to you talk that story about portrait looking me in the eyes. I'm like, that's not a big a deal. But back then, no. oh, in mate, that cocoon that with that pressure, I fully understand. I laid an was. egg in my undies when I went to this <laughs> to him, mate. I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, well, so, just like weeks before, in our last exercise, uh, whatever it was, the uh, uh, urban ops, whatever, yep. Tin Can Bay, that was our last before graduation. I up royally right and he chewed me out like properly um but then he finished the chewing up you will graduate but and i was like <laughs> <laughs> nothing else matters after that that's cool that's cool <laughs> you, like because i thought this is it you know i'm like because you know i'd briefed some general or something and it made him look bad or whatever and it was you know it was all bad un- unintentionally of course but uh yeah when he said those words you will graduate but mm. like, all right i also love hearing stories like this because it's it's um, comforting for me to know because when you go there as an instructor, you put your heart and soul into yeah. making mm-hmm. sure you can train people because it is Australia's premier leadership yeah. in- institution. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the fact that all of you were taking it so seriously was it, it's heartwarming to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. you don't want to not go through that. You don't want to fail. You don't want to get back class. You don't like you. You're there because you want to be an officer in the Australian yeah, Army, right. which, which is amazing. Yeah. What did you like most about Duntroon though? Just quickly, and well, let's move on to the next bit. What did I like most about Duntroon? <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's there's absolutely you know, my best friends, without a doubt, are my Duntroon that mates. Mateship, There's that just thing. nothing that even comes. I mean, if there is something that comes close, uh, and that is my Bosnian group in Sydney, uh, which are family, just like my Duntroon mm. group as family, because we went through something so hard, so uh, uh, forging together, like my Bosnian group. You know, there's four or five of them. Uh, we've experienced something arduous and hard together we all came around the same time and went through similar experiences so we were there for each other and that we pulled each other through those hard days uh, and i think that's very similar to the kind of duntroon yeah. uh, kind of group and that's uh, and i think that that you know, i mean i think that you, you can probably relate to that because our that group goes. of mates is very much the kind of that core group of mates yep. that uh, speaking that of core which one did you go to afterwards tell us about that yeah so i'm uh, I'm, I'm intelligence core um so and i wanted to do that uh, so when i when i you know joined uh you know, I wanted to do intelligence. Um, and I'm not even sure if I should be talking about this, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, between, between the three of us. Yes, there's no one else here. No Gums is over there on his phone. He's not listening. There's only the three of us. Um, I was human intelligence. Um, and I wanted, when I, when I was uh, uh, applying at recruit, recruitment, I was, I wrote, you know, to put in three preferences. I was like, human, human, human. And the Navy PO, <laughs> the Navy PO that was there, he just chuckled. He goes, mate, you can't do it. I was like, well, just, like, just that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> Fuck, fair call. <laughs> so he took it and he laughed. Um, but ended up, uh, yeah, getting intelligence core. Um, but because of in- intelligence, you have to go and do a year and a half elsewhere um, as your kind of reggie time, uh, which for me, I was blessed uh, to go to 51st Battalion Final Queensland Regiment. Fucking stand fast. Right up on. in Weeper. Amazing. You. The dogs of Weeper. That was, right. Uh, yeah, so I was in Weeper, uh, which was uh, an incredible experience. You know, only 200k south of the tip of Australia. Um, I've been up to Weaver. Yeah, yeah, amazing. She's in, she's in the middle of fucking nowhere. nowhere. You are incredible. Uh, you are. You know, you're up north. Yeah, yeah. you just yeah. know, don't you? Yeah, it was amazing. And uh, you know, eighty percent of our soldiers uh, were uh, blackfellas, uh, local uh, indigenous. Uh, which, and I say that uh, knowing how sensitive the world is to certain mm. blackfella, but mm. uh, it was. I was. I, I had a rapid education by my soldiers. Uh, you know, one one in particular, Jimmy, he's like, "Boss, I'm a blackfella. You're mm. a whitefella." Mm. Like. Yeah, don't make a, a, don't make a deal it of it. It's yeah. the obvious. It's yeah. not yeah. It's yeah, uh, but, no but, it's hilarious, but it was really interesting for me to coming down like from Sydney and being kind of deeply sensitized to this kind of race racial 
talking, etc. I was like, oh, I've got to be really careful and sensitive. Uh, and then I ended up serving as the cultural advisor during one of the Army Aboriginal Community Assistance Programs uh, that was happening very close to Weipo in, 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 in a place called Mapoon. So I had to deliver briefs for all these Sydney guys, uh, engineering guys that were coming up. Uh, and that's the first thing I would do, you know. Oh, G'day guys, I'm Maz, blah, blah, and uh, th- these, these guys here, uh, these black fellas you see up the front, they are soldiers, Jimmy, blah, blah, blah. And you can see people just go, oh, did, he j- did he just say <laughs> what? the B word? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that was a good way to kind of kind of open people's eyes to go, hold on, guys, just just like be human. Yeah. Like understand that there is, you know, there, there's these are real people. Yeah. They have real feelings, that real makes. emotions. Mm. You know, you don't need to paint them with some certain brush of some cultural yeah. war identity that you're fighting over there. There are yeah. soldiers. They don't care. That's right. There, there are, are soldiers. soldiers. Yeah. Uh, and they are some of the best soldiers I've seen um, as far as their intuitive understanding and connection to land. Which is why they serve, because you know they have a deep in affinity for a land and country, uh, and having seen some of the, having been exposed to some uh, uh, welcome to welcome to country initiations and ceremonies. I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, that was probably some of some of the most powerful experiences I've had. Uh, was that eighteen months? Uh, yeah. Because we spent bulk of those 18 months uh, living out in the communities and kind of driving across Cape York. Uh, uh, you know looking for illegal landing sites and cache sites and that sort of stuff. That's Good a very mind. different mm-hmm. experience as a first first and second year LT, oh. lieutenant. It's and for me it was perfect because I was going to Humint. Uh, yep. So this was yeah. the total opposite of regimented because our, our uniform was uh, cut off campaigns. <laughs> uh, you know, that, that, that Merle, our clerk, who's a legend, we called mum, she'd cut them and you know, sew them up for us, Crocs. And our unit T-shirt. That was our uniform. Beautiful. Right? <laughs> Excellent. Towing a 4.4-metre Quintrex, uh, the back of our uh, Land Rovers, uh, you know, to go exploring the uh, local <laughs> riverine estuaries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, mate, where, where'd you, so you, uh, you've done your Reggie time. Um, you know, you've got to come back to, to real army now, per se. What next? Did you go to Dinsey? Yeah, mm. I did. So I ended up going to Dinsey or, or uh, DSI now, uh, Defence School Intelligence, and did my... <coughs> regimental officers basic course uh you know that, that that's how was that is that because that's not just yeah. human hard. that would have been no, no, that would have been intelligence principles in general that's right that's that's an intelligence officer everybody has to do that uh human came afterwards um but yeah that's hard it's a hard course i'm not gonna lie that's a, and it needs to be hard uh because you need to have the ability to remain calm when so many different feeds are coming in um and you need to i mean four one four armed right it's the motto of the intelligence corp you need to do all the hard work, thinking about what's happening, the possible, you know, or the intent that the enemy might yeah. have to allow the commander uh, to make a decision to win the battle, right, whichever way. So there's a lot of um, responsibility on the shoulders of intelligence officers and we all know uh, we all know when you've got a good one yep. uh, and, of course, we all know when you have a bad one. Yeah. Uh, and that's why there's a lot of pressure at the school, rightly, to... to to expose you to as much, to teach you as much, to put you under as much pressure and test you in your planning um, and, you know, provision of your, your intelligence uh, planning monitoring of the battle space, uh, which I think now is back to IPB, not MB. But, um, yeah, so, so it was hard, but it was good. Can you just talk about the whole process of numerous feeds, information, fusing, and then int reports? Like, just summarise that for us. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so in short, I mean, you have these kind of uh, sources and agencies, right? There, there are all these kind of collectors, uh, that are existing out, uh, whether it's you know signals intelligence, human intelligence, uh, imagery intelligence, uh, whatever, right? There's all these collectors out there. Uh, some of them do their own analysis and processing and provide you 
uh, report that has some analysis in it, uh, but others provide you just the raw information. And you are in the middle as part of the intelligence cell, I guess, receiving all of these different reports from different, uh, completely different uh, domains, different streams. Uh, and your job is to look at that information and then analyze it and make an assessment based on evidence and fact to inform the commander. To try and fuse it all together. Fuse it all, yeah. right? That's, that's the kind of whole uh, fusion uh, piece uh, to try and create as cohesive a picture as you possibly can mm. of what's happening out there. Now, that is so freaking hard yeah. for a multitude of reasons. Uh, and as I've come to learn, you know, post my deployments and post, you know, further study, there's so many things that we cannot know, yep. right? So it's not just... It's not just you know it's your fault for not knowing, but it's there's just there are just things that you're just, just it's impossible for you to know uh, about a local context, about the architecture of a particular society, you pillars know, of power pillars that, of power that we don't necessarily appreciate. That we just don't at all get you know how 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 exactly how power flows, how money flows uh, in in a conflict setting. Money, drugs, weapons, Dr- exactly yep. all of these things. And Afghanistan proved to be a, a prime example of, of how little bomb, bomb residue, exa- all that stuff. Exactly yeah. all of that. And and you know you've got to try and make the best of a very very difficult and uncertain scenario to try and reduce the uncertainty for those making the decisions. Yeah. Um, so it's a yeah it's a that's roughly broadly how how it works. Mm. Very you, very important. And you deployed. So you've got these skill sets that you've just you know tucked in your back pocket to be able to take out and explore in in the real army. You deployed pretty soon after that, if I remember, is that? Yeah. So I was, uh, I guess, lucky in that instance uh, because we all wanted to deploy. I guess because uh, yeah. you know the wars were on. Um, so what? Uh, so I deployed. So what time? What, what was that? So I did two thousand. Yeah. So within a year, w- within seven months, actually, of uh, of marching into uh, one in battalion, one company, uh, I deployed to Afghanistan mm. uh, uh, as an uh, officer in command of, of, of field human teams, um, which of course is a is a you know it's the pinnacle of, of that job for us, and and I was very very grateful that I had uh, um, a commander who recognised and, and 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 trusted uh, trusted me um, uh, to actually go and do the job. Do it was the job. N- N- Nick Rose, if uh, if he's listening. Uh, yeah, he remains a legend uh, in the core, not just for me, but for many of us. I know him. He's a real yeah, good bloke. Yeah, yeah, just a just a just a yeah, just a legend and a jet and a. He he believes. He, he, he knows exactly. and he believes. That's right. It's a bit like us yeah. with the marketing team, Dubs. Like I've, you said me something the other day. A lot of business owners mm. will just put the marketing team over in the corner, mm, mm, mm. like a lot of commanders used to do. The int yeah. people put mm. them over in the corner yeah. and only come and go. Why isn't this fucking working yeah, when right. they haven't been involved in, in the first place? Yeah. But if you've got a commander that believes the value of marketing, the belief, like for us, like int drives ops mm, mm. in an army's perspective. Yep. Yep. The marketing and the research we do and the locations we go to drive the property operations yep. we do. Yep. So I have the exact same. Absolutely, that's and, and that's how it should be. And that's a, it's not you, you're spot on. I mean, and, and you know this far better than I do, but it's certainly not the opinion that, that uh, is always uh, the one that commanders hold. Like you said, you know, int can exist. and this is why the intelligence officer matters because you know there are many intelligence officers you know who just aren't personable because that's not. What, you know, that's not what you're there for. You're yeah, not there yeah. to be a charismatic, person. outgoing. Yep. You're analyze. That's right, right. So there are some that are, you know, or many even that uh, are perhaps introverts or just don't want to engage with it. But you need to, uh, and I think that's what the school does very well: is force you to get out of your shell and really start engaging into proactively. You need to shape the commander to want intelligence. Uh, rather than de- waiting for the commander to ask. We were really lucky at SOCOM to have some in-core guys mm. that did have a lot of personality yeah. and they were quite charismatic because ultimately yeah. the, 
the fusing and the analysis and the reports that had a probability and a likelihood attached to it. Yeah. So, like, hey, we think like the whole juice is worth the squeeze. Yeah. We have a high probability there's going to be X, Y, and Z to occur here. Yeah. From then, obviously, the, the commander takes that information. You go, right, that's a decision tool. Do we now spin up an operation to go and yep. deal with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, if exactly you can't communicate that, that clearly, then there's, everyone's just fucking sitting behind the wire yeah. eating yeah. fucking lobster and going to the gym. Yeah. yeah Sorry, that's, that's the SOTG. <laughs> <laughs> and how was that trip for you, mate? Like, overall? I mean, incredible. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Because you're, you're so tapped into – so we had – uh, and I don't know how much I can talk about it on here, obviously, but uh, we had teams supporting both the SOTG Lots. and MTF yep. uh, uh, intimately in everything they did. Uh, and, you know, as, as, you know, the cliche goes that nothing in, in theatre happened without human. Um, you know, Siginters will probably tell you otherwise, <laughs> uh, you know, but that's the kind of... The little... little but they all, all fit, for me as right. an operator, they, they all, all feed together. the that's same... Right. Pi- yeah. They exactly. feed the complete picture. That's right. This yep. Exactly. So, yeah. so, yeah. so, so you know, you're. I mean, you, you know, the hours you're working is insane. I mean, we were putting out up to sixty reports a day uh, at times, uh, which obviously, as the OIC, you have to read every one of them, vet every one of them, correct every one of them. You know, make sure that they're cross-referenced properly to different things, and uh, that actually make a sense. Um, uh, that actually makes sense that you're grading, that you're giving it, or uh, 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 veracity of that report that you're giving the due diligence because hey. Fuck, people will die based on that. Yep. You know, that's, yep. that's the reality of it, and people have died based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, and that's that's a responsibility that's uh, in our case uh, carried mostly by the operator, but owned by the OIC, right? Because mm-hmm. you need to own it as the commander. You own that report as yep. much as the operator carries the burden of making that assessment, making the analysis, uh, and collecting that information. Uh, but yeah, so it's a it's a it, it was a high intensity uh, deployment, uh, certainly for me. Um, yeah. Which of course was dotted with a whole bunch of you know interesting uh, um, moments uh, over that uh, yeah. what, six. But secretly, I bet you are loving it. Absolutely, like that's absolutely. what you were born that's to do. You, that's right. It's yeah. like you're you're playing first grade, mate. Yeah. Crack on. Absolutely, yeah. and absolutely right. And you and because you're pinging so high as well. I mean, because it's so you know alive, right? All your senses are alive. You, you, every day matters, uh, and you know nothing else matters mm. in that instance because right now what you're doing is. Uh, either helping keep people alive uh, or helping uh, those who are tasked with Remove threats. removing threats yep. uh, do that in the most appropriate way, uh, whatever that means, right? And this is then something that, of course, one uh, on reflection uh, starts considering, especially when you're talking about Afghanistan, right? Uh, and this is something I address in my podcast quite a lot, uh, is that war, uh, you know, I, I often say on the podcast, we never fought the war we thought we fought. Uh, and this is some of my own lessons later on uh, uh, about misunderstanding, and, and I put myself in this, misunderstanding the battle space, misunderstanding the ecosystem that is Afghanistan. Uh, and, of course, we'd have, you know, all, all fully well know uh, how that ultimately uh, unfolded. Yeah. Hindsight's a beautiful thing, mate. I have absolutely. reflected, and yeah. I'd still do it frequently now, and I'm sure you will, Luke, over the coming years. You'll, have, you'll deal with circumstances in your life now, with much more context and experience and, and better people around you, and you go back and go, oh, that, something similar like that happened to me in the military, and I addressed it a completely different yeah. way, mm. and I feel like a dickhead for it. Mm. Yeah. It's mm. totally normal. It's fucking life. It's experience. Yeah. It's yeah, evolution. That's right. yeah. that's right. Don't worry. Growth. Don't, no, no, of course. Yeah, don't, yeah. I'm not saying I don't dwell on things. I absolutely do. I dwell on it to try and pick out the lessons. That's right. So if and when that occurs to me again, I'm not that same dickhead. Yeah. And yeah. you are good at that, mate. You are uh, good, good at being at a dickhead. <laughs> That too. <laughs> <laughs> no, about learning lessons. You got it. You've got a very, very quick learning loop. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Got it. So, mate, Maz, we're back, back to you, mate. Like we, we, 
come back, you settle back in, you know, smooth settle back in or bumpy settle back in, but you settle back in none, nonetheless. And then, and then what happens? So, so I was then again lucky to deploy uh, in a different role uh, to East Timor. Mm. Um, and yeah, I was there for just shy of a year which was an amazing experience. And this is where, again, where you and I got to hang out. Uh, we shared uh, the bunk beds, <laughs> <laughs> which was the best welcoming I had, uh, landing <laughs> the theatre. And there's, uh, there's uh, Luke, who'd already uh, organised our little chalet. Uh, Sorry, really. <laughs> hit, hit, hit I'm, I'm secretly jealous and I wasn't <laughs> even there. It was amazing. He'd flogged the TV from somewhere. I oh, stole yeah. everything that wasn't <laughs> no, pinned you down. reallocated. But yeah, that's right. That's no. right. Repurposed. Uh, but uh, we had absolutely the best pad in, uh, in Camp Phoenix, without a doubt. Uh, and it was a well-kept secret. Uh, there was a PlayStation in there, yep. big TV, uh, basically a full kitchenette. Um, so yeah, he had done well as a logistics officer. He's done his job uh, sourcing everything. We won't comment on the amount of alcohol either, by the way. <laughs> uh, no. Well, actually, there was no, no there piss. Was there no, was there actually, was actually. I don't care we'll about. We'll talk about that later. No, I don't no, care no, about saying no, it now. We there wasn't. Didn't. No, there wasn't. There really wasn't. Um, uh, uh, no, there wasn't. There was. Uh, 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 what was that? Uh, Tour de Force. Uh, oh we, we yeah, got yeah, in trouble. The, we yeah, got in the, trouble. Yeah, we we were, we were stopouts, dirty yeah, stopouts, basically. Yeah, it was and Maz, Maz, and I, the young retrobates that we were, as uh, young captains, getting ourselves into strife. Well, we were showing the, uh, the 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 lovely ladies that had come to entertain the force, uh, uh, just the sights of Timor. Yeah, hospitality, hospitality. hospitality. keeping up international yeah. relations. Absolutely. I call it. Absolutely, Absolutely. mate. Yeah. And we got chastised for it, and we lost a couple of weeks' pay for that. Oh, I, I don't know, mate. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. I don't mind details. I was, <laughs> I was more focused on how much fun we had. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that was a so that was a that was a, a long trip for me. I think I was uh, one of the last people in, on that uh, deployment. We kind of closed it down, uh, and then got back. There was also something something else pretty significant that happened while you were over in Timor, mate. Well, that's true. If yeah. I do recollect, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Uh, we didn't happen in Timor, of course. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I met my other half. Uh, so my uh, my partner in life, uh, Essen. Uh, she was a uh, uh, an analyst uh, working for one of the strategic agencies. So in some weird twist of fate she was kind of my boss in a way uh, still you know, is still is yeah so <laughs> she, she set the tone early oh, i've only got one boss <laughs> yeah. she, she anchored early that's all i can say uh so uh, but yeah so we you know professionally got to know each other there uh she then returned um to australia i then went home on my first rockle uh relief out of country leave or whatever um that's when we kind of you know something happened and we kind of all got a little bit serious uh to the point uh where when i went back uh, and went back on my second rockle. She had moved in uh, into 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 the apartment that I was sharing with this guy. Uh, so uh, so when I came home from Timor, there's this guy uh, uh, at my house, and now my new missus. <laughs> we just picked Timor up and yeah, moved it back. Literally, into yeah. We just needed a ping pong table, and it was. A when you know it's a good thing, mate. Just track on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And that was about, if I remember rightly, mate. And, and sorry for the, the leading the question specifically, mm -hmm. but that was about the time where you started making the decisions around were you yeah. in the right role, yeah, and that's right. and you know, did the we all become veterans one day and two of us sitting here now. Mm. Um, but that was about that point where you said, is this the, the, the rest of the life for me? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I knew the writing was – I mean, put it this way, man, I was just tired. I yeah. was flogged. Uh, those four years uh, at the company were extremely busy. And, and most people don't even know this, but one company, and I'll say this publicly, was the most deployed unit in the Australian Defence yeah. Force. Yeah. Um, you know, more so than SOCOM, right, which most people don't know because we're one company and undermanned at any point in time or under under – yeah, undermanned at any point in time. Um, 
so we had you know it was a tri service by that stage to try and fill the gaps and people were just going constantly right so mm. not only were you deploying but you had to do all your courses and all the all the human courses are long courses mm. uh, which of course takes you out of you know, you know and, and intense courses as well uh, so by that stage when I came back from Timor I was just I was done uh, it was a busy year uh, finishing off that year as well I was trying to finish off a master's um, then I ended up in a busy role as well acting as the OC of the company for you know the last uh, bit of that year and I was just done I just needed a break yeah. Uh, and yeah there were a whole bunch of other things but that, that was that was kind of what um, inspired me to pop smoke and Essen and I decided well let's do she had hung up her boots so to speak uh, we decided to do something completely random uh, something to 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 create as Bigger separation as possible, so we picked up from Brisbane and flew to Bosnia to open the country's first CrossFit gym. <laughs> wow, that's so, awesome! Yeah, so don't hold it against me. I've I've, I've since left the cult. <laughs> I still I was, dabble. I was going to say that that was obviously a while ago. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're only just hearing about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was a, that was then another experience for me. It was a it was a coming home in many ways. Of course, uh, it would have been Bosnia so to, good. I love that. Yeah, do some personal healing and reconnecting and also doing something positive. We opened, we established as a not-for-profit, so we did a whole bunch of charity work for kids with cancer, kids with autism, kids with our parents. We supported refugee crisis, the floods in Bosnia. Was that your uh, first time you went back there since? I had, been, I had been back once. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I went back on Rockwell when I was in Afghan, okay. uh, which was, uh, which was sorry, th- sorry, I had been back twice. First time uh, was at the end of first year Adfa, uh, and that was the first time back. Uh, but then second time was uh, was in Afghan, and this was then the third time, I guess, for any longer period than uh, than a week or two. Was it good to go back each time and see that it had progressed to some sort of normality? Can I use those terms? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Gotten better? Yes. Yes, it has gotten better, but superficially so. So right. for the first two times, it looked better. But the, for the third time, we went there and like, started a business or a company uh, and then you, you become a local again and you start seeing below the surface of the turmoil that exists and the continuous tensions. And Bosnia is now more divided than it was before the mm. war. Um, wow. It's, you know, even today, right now, it's at the brink of, you know, violence can erupt at any moment uh, because of all the other competing geopolitical interests that are pushing those buttons. Uh, but nonetheless, it, is a, it remains a region that is volatile. volatile. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Is that part of the reason why you didn't stay there long? Uh, no, surely I mean, you didn't want to get caught in another war. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Even <laughs> we bad. didn't. I mean, we uh, didn't have your own weapon. <laughs> well, there, there is that, but um, but also I wasn't, and I, and and, I, and I'm conscious of what it's, what this is going to sound like, but I'll, but I'll put it into context. I wasn't from there anymore. Love right? that. As in, I'm there from my heart and soul. I love the place. I love the people. I love the country. I love my history, my past, my you know, my ancestry, etc. But I had changed. Right, I'd mm. seen other parts of the world. I had witnessed other things. Uh, there were other things that were urging me forward. This was a, um, I wanted to give back something to Bosnia, something positive. Uh, and our gym was that. We, you know, and this, this is a powerful story in itself. You know, we opened the gym in the old Olympic Stadium. Uh, so we refurbished a whole, you know, it was a big project. It took us nine months to open to basically rebuild part of the stadium. Uh, and to this day, I still, I don't know any other, uh, gym, let alone CrossFit gym, that has its own running track inside an Olympic stadium with the Olympic cauldron still standing above you. Yeah. Right? Wow, so, that's pretty so, cool. You know, yeah. you go and do a mer- workout like Murph, right, which has got a lot of kind of uh, uh, running around. You run outside into a stadium. You're in a stadium with a cauldron there. Um, that's powerful. The colours we used were the colours of, of, of 
uh, of Rebirth Orange. Uh, our logo was the resistance fist holding a kettlebell, uh, which was resistance, <laughs> which was resistance in a number of different layers. Yeah. First resistance, resistance in it. Firstly. Uh, in the kind of fitness piece, but also perhaps in the Bosnian context, most relevant resistance to the pressures of segrega- segregation divisions that exist in that country. So we yeah. we taught classes in English, Bosnian, German, Turkish. Um, we had nine flags of different nations that were represented at the gym. We had all Bosnian ethnicities represented. We had coaches that we had trained that were all Bosnian Bosnian ethnicities. So there was Serb, a Croat, uh, an, another like myself, uh, a Bosniak, a Muslim, uh, and perhaps the most powerful symbolic image that still remains with me today. And I think with many who were with us on that journey around those years, uh, we had arranged a blood drive uh, to donate blood as a gym, as a club. So people were coming in on a Saturday morning to a hard workout and then off to the side of the you know gym floor, uh, there, was, there were a couple of beds lined up uh, and the blood bank guys had rocked up, give a few snacks and go and, get, you know, go and give your blood, uh, give your blood pumped. Uh, and perhaps one of the biggest, strongest images that I still hold from that, those days is we had a couple of coaches of dis- different ethnicities sitting next to each other and both bleeding red. Mm. Right? And that was an image, a symbolic image for a place like Bosnia that went viral if one can use that term in bosnia in 2015 at this point in time mm. uh, because it was it was a powerful image of this unity that was exists within a club so small but that is surrounded by these structural divisions and hatred um so yeah it was it was a really powerful project for, for my own personal healing i think but also for those who were part of it tell me that club still exists it does god yeah, thank awesome. god i'm like awesome. please tell me this <laughs> club it, still it, exists. it does it does and we we handed it over to another guy who had a uh, similar vision to that we did and he then since has uh handed it over to another girl who definitely had the same vision as us so she's bringing back in the whole charity work she's brought the old logo back she's really so kind good. of uh, oh. give, you know it's giving a second proper life i don't know if we've got or if we've got the reach to hit bosnia but just just in case we do, mate, what was the name of the gym? CrossFit Sarajevo. Oh, okay. That's, that's awesome. The, it is the, the first CrossFit, official CrossFit gym in Bosnia. And, uh, yeah, it's, now there are six or seven, uh, I believe. And uh, some of our old co- coaches had then since gone and opened their own. You're the um, OG, so we, mate. Well, you know, <laughs> well, it's funny because, uh, you know, at that time we kind of cared about CrossFit. So uh, you went to CrossFit Games or CrossFit Open, which is basically the global competition where everybody does certain workouts. Mm. Uh, and then the fittest in a the country, they get a special T-shirt from the CrossFit headquarters. Yeah. Uh, so Essen and I both have, you know, fittest in country diplomas. <laughs> that we were the fittest in Bosnia with a T-shirt. Never mind the fact that there are only three of us yeah, doing yeah. it. <laughs> doesn't matter, mate. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was... Uh, so, so I, I'm... I'm interested in it. I'm sure other people are that are listening. Dubs, can you just make a mental note to put CrossFit Sarajevo website if you've got one on there so people can see the images and yeah. see the, the resistance, et cetera, et cetera. I'd love yeah. to see it as well. Yeah, mate. absolutely. It's, yeah. Still, it, it's backwards. So the logo had changed after the guy uh, that we handed over, uh, he changed the logo, but now it's back to the original logo uh, to the original kind of idea spirit mm. and the kind of uh, charity work that uh, is part of it. So, so yeah. a couple of years doing burpees and, and kips and the like, mate, and then you decided you didn't have enough fucking languages under your belt. What was next? <laughs> <laughs> well, funny you should ask that. <laughs> Sweden. Uh, that, that was a throw in a dart, right? Yeah. Because yeah. uh, where do we want to go next? Because uh, I wanted to study some more. So uh, I have some family in Sweden who escaped Sarajevo like we did. Mm. My first cousins, uh, my dearest cousins. Um, so we thought, let's go to Sweden. Uh, so we moved to Sweden, kind of uplifted from Bosnia, uh, kind of clean slate. Uh, I enrolled in uni, uh, did a couple of uh, degrees in parallel, which was really interesting because I wanted to study... Firstly, what we had done in Bosnia, so this kind of building of communities, uh, how communities are created, uh, 
and mainly through communication. So I studied a master's in communication with a focus on this kind of interpersonal communication, which is very much human anyway. Mm. Um, and then I did a conflict resolution uh, master's as well, which was uh, to try and understand how societies fall apart and how they come back together. Because I really ultimately wanted to, and, and again, this is perhaps, you know, evident to some, uh, but this is the, the red thread through my life is, you know, conflict has been uh, somehow in and around my life and, and peacemaking uh, has, uh, as a result, uh, has also been you know, part of my life, uh, which is what I wanted to do um, uh, afterwards. Uh, so yeah, that was two and a half years uh, uh, in Sweden, nearly three actually. Um, and as I graduated, I got a job to go to Iraq as a uh, country manager for a, Swedish comp- uh, for a British company uh, to be there, uh, to head up their consultancy over there, uh, which was a hugely, it was an eye-opening project um, or, or experience because not only had I already had exposure to the, as it's, as it's well known, the mil- military-industrial complex, I was now becoming deeply initiated and immersed in the post-violent conflict uh, industrial complex. Yeah. Uh, and the amount of money that's poured into uh, the post-violent conflict industries and therefore the incentives that exist to drive people to do some of the most unethical things I've seen, uh, it, the mind just boggles. Uh, so that was, again, another, another, another short eight-month chapter uh, in my life. Geez, you've done a lot, and we're not finished we're yet. We're not there yet. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm sure everyone's getting tired. So no, no, I'm, <laughs> with, it, with another five, five or six minutes to go, I'm keen on knowing what happened in your life to say I'm going back to the army because this is a yeah. this is an unusual part of yeah. anyone we've had on the podcast so yeah. far. Yeah, so 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 after Iraq, I was asked uh, to go uh, back to Sweden to lecture at my old university. Uh, which I'm very grateful for because then I got to lecture interpersonal and intercultural communication, which is absolutely uh, one of the fields that I really, really, really uh, believe in and, and absolutely appreciate and, and take great joy. Not speaking English, I take it. Uh, no, this in English. In oh, it's right. an international master's in English. Okay, right. um, but I had picked up Swedish along the way because Swedish is quite similar to German, so you know okay. one can one can one can get by. Sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you, you can. Um, so after, after about a year and a half of that, uh, we decided to come back to Australia um, to welcome the birth of our firstborn, Lara. Um, and very soon after that, a good mate of ours, uh, Hugh Cades, he said, hey, Maz, uh, I'm carrying a vacancy up at uh, the School of Intelligence. What are you doing at the moment? And COVID had just kicked off and I was a bit in a bit of turmoil anyway. You know, I was started doing a business with one of our other mates, uh, Ben Grumley, and we kind of, it was, it was all a bit in the flux. I was like, oh, mate. Yeah, like I'm open to suggestions. He goes, well, I need somebody to update our teaching uh, on this kind of culture stuff. And that was it. I was sold. Mm-hmm. Um, got back in uh, uh, in a heartbeat, basically. And like back in full time? Back in full time, straight up. Wow. Yeah, I was like, nah, because he, he made me an offer that I couldn't refuse, basically. Yeah. Godfather-like. Um, so it was to come back in and teach interpersonal communication, intercultural communication. Um, stuff I think that you me. loved, Absolutely. stuff that you believed in. Absolutely. Mm. And that I, that I had now equipped myself with a bit more from the kind of learning and studying I'd done and teaching. Uh, so it was, a, it, was, it was a, you know, for me, it blended really nicely. Uh, got me up to the Goldie as well. Uh, I was then, you know, since then, that was mid-2020. Uh, I've basically continued teaching, even though I'm no longer part of the school, uh, but I continue teaching there on these, f- on a bunch of courses on the interpersonal intercultural communication stuff. Uh, I got involved with a kind of defence-wide course on culture. Um, then I was part of the Army Knowledge Centre, so helping with some of our doctrine. Uh, and it probably won't come as a surprise to people that I'm deeply interested in ethics, um, culture and character. So those, those were some of those things that I'm involved in. Uh, and then just because you know, I had the time and the opportunity, uh, I put, a, put in a submission to the Chief of Defence Force Fellowship uh, to start a PhD. And for some reason, uh, it got up. 
so this year I'm the Chief of Defence Force Fellow uh, and I've just started my PhD not long ago to study military ethics and uh, um, with Ned Dobosch and Dean Peter Baker. Wow. Bloody hell. I wasn't so expecting that. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's a whirlwind tour. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Man. yeah. And, and perhaps the only other relevant point that, are, you know, to, 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 I guess, round it off uh, is the podcast and how that came into being is yep. because the podcast, as I got back into Army, I recognised that there were a lot of young people now who hadn't deployed, hadn't experienced war, didn't have a really idea of what war is like, but were eager and gung-ho to go, and I totally understand that. Uh, but knowing what I know, knowing what I've seen, uh, I wanted to lift the lid on the true, raw nature of war, uh, and that's why I started the Voices of War. Uh, and through the podcast, so the, the the kind of the the, the catch cry of the podcast is to scratch below the uh, simple narratives of war through the voices of those who understand its complexities. Uh, so I speak to refugees, generals, soldiers, academics, peacemakers, uh, as in negotiators, peace negotiators. Um, military ethicists, etc., to try and provide different lenses to the experience of war, whether it, whether it, whether you be a, a, a fighter, whether you be a victim of war, whether you be just a bystander and observer, or whether you be a researcher of war, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's kind of been the journey over the last two years now. Interested in your thoughts quickly on the whole Russian invasion of Ukraine. Are you at liberty to give your personal thoughts on that? Like a fucking another country invading someone else in the 2022s, yeah. 23s? Yeah. What the actual? I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously I have a very, very strong opinion on that um, given that uh, my country was invaded under similar circumstances. Put, you, put your um, PhD to be hat on yeah. as an observer of that low. Like, were you shocked when you first heard about that? Yes, like everyone else, uh, but uh, I guess that shock wears off pretty quickly when you start realising that there's far bigger machinations that are at play that are decades old, decades long. Um, and this is something I explore in the podcast and I've had a number of prominent guests, you know, including you know, senior Norwegian military people, senior British analysts, etc., etc., uh, talk about the... And I've had Ukrainians uh, on the podcast. I've had a Russian girl from St. Petersburg on the podcast talking about how the Russians view the, pot, uh, view the war. Um, and, and the reason I say it, 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 what's black and white is that it's an immoral, uh, unethical war and it's an illegal war. It's an illegal invasion. There's no question of that. But what I'm looking at in my PhD is to what extent up, upstream causes make certain outcomes predictable and almost uh, uncertain. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, sorry, almost certain. Uh, and I think that's something that uh, is probably relevant in this war. Uh, it's probably relevant in every other war. Uh, but my particular focus in the PhD is more on the kind of individual soldier level uh, on, you know, to what extent, how, how much moral degradation occurs uh, in a war and therefore can we truly hold soldiers morally accountable for the behaviours, uh, their behaviours mm -hmm. in war. I found it very interesting, the whole special military operation to go and yeah. rid the Nazis from yeah. the yeah. Ukraine. I'm yeah. like... Fucking come on, mate! Yeah. You can do come up with a better do cover better. story, can you? But but the people but believe the, it. But they believe it. That's that's the whole thing. That's yeah. the, so the whole upstream thing that you're talking about. What goes on in their narrative and their ethics and their culture to think that that's okay? And chances are, if I was in Russia, I'd believe it too, and yeah. most of us would too. Yeah. Right? And that's the that's the moment your identity is under threat, you will believe just about anything. Mm. Uh, and this is we know this through social science research over decades uh, of how much. Uh, how how easily is to comply, or how easily people will comply uh, with orders or, or views that are, in any objective sense, ridiculous. Uh, but you know, we're just people. 
Just like the order that came down is like, you're not eating the sausages, put the fucking trunk back on and start walking. Start 15K walk. to go. That is yeah. a ridiculous <laughs> request, Captain uh, Turner. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I'm going to participate in that Say that walk. again, motherfucker. <laughs> Maz, Luke, I promise we were going to take this podcast yeah. to the next level. Brother, you have come in and absolutely done that. Thank right. you so much, mate. That was excellent. Final thoughts? Maz, can I just say, mate, obviously, you know, one of my best mates and, you know, uh, a constant inspiration to me in my life. So, mate, thanks very much for coming in and sharing your story and, and, and you know, letting our audience know, you know, from the perspective of someone who's still currently in but you know been through an, an, an amazing journey mate so thank you for sharing that thanks a lot thanks gents. please thanks ladies and gents if you enjoyed that share and share alike so many people need to hear that stuff yeah. good on you Maz. Cheers, and Maz. sure and certainly dubs make sure you put Maz's little podcast down there because those that like all that geopolitical upstream stuff he's your man yeah see you next time thanks team